The reading tonight is taken from the book of Genesis, chapter 28, verses 10 to 22. Jacob left Beersheba and set out for Haran. When he reached a certain place, he stopped for the night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones there, he put it under his head and lay down to sleep. He had a dream in which he saw a stairway resting on the earth with its top reaching to heaven, and the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. There above it stood the Lord, and he said, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham and the God of Isaac. I will give you and your descendants the land on which you are lying. Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth, and you will spread out to the west and to the east, to the north and to the south. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. I am with you and will watch over you wherever you go, and I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. When Jacob awoke from his sleep, he thought, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I was not aware of it. He was afraid and said, How awesome is this place! This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. Early the next morning, Jacob took the stone he had placed under his head and set it up as a pillar and poured oil on top of it. He called that place Bethel, though the city used to be called Luz. Then Jacob made a vow, saying, If God will be with me and will watch over me on this journey I am taking and will give me food to eat and clothes to wear so that I return safely to my father's house, then the Lord will be my God and the stone that I have set up as a pillar will be God's house and all that you give me, I will give you a tenth. This is God's word. Our Father, thank you that you are the God of the nations. Thank you that you're the God of Jacob, a man running away from uh, safety in the middle of nowhere, and you met him and spoke to him. And we pray wherever you find us this evening that you would speak to us in Jesus' name. Amen. I have a dream that one day on the red hills of Georgia, the sons of former slaves and the sons of former slave owners will sit together at the table of brotherhood. Sounds better in a South American accent, doesn't it? I I guess uh, I have a dream. Um, uh, uh, I don't don't know if you've uh, watched that speech recently. It's an amazing speech, 1963, Martin Luther King. A dream that just set a whole new direction. Uh, or maybe recently you've been to see uh, Les Mis, Les Mis, and you come out to the final song, and they're asking you, will you join in our crusade? Who will be strong and stand by me somewhere beyond the barricade? Is there a world you long to see? And I come out and I say, I'll join your crusade. I'll move to France. I'll come and join you. It sounds terrific. It sounds terrific. Chest pumping, everything. Fantastic. Dreams. A new future, the hope of something better. Dreams can just set a whole new direction. They stir something deep 
within us. And so we look internationally for these dreams. We look to the UN. We look to stable government. We look nationally to thriving markets. Or we look individually uh, for places to fulfill our dreams. We endlessly check our savings accounts. We uh, desperately keep up with Facebook and just hope to surf that wave just a bit longer. We look to different places to fulfill our dreams, but sometimes we can end up in the brokenness of Fantine's aria. I dreamed a dream, or Susan Boyle sing it. I'm not going to sing it, but you, I dreamed a dream. I dreamed a dream, but it just seems to have vanished. And we wonder, is there anything that can stabilize things? Is there anything that can give us a lasting dream? Is there one dream that could unite all people? We wonder. Well, in Genesis 28, we see God's dream, if we could put it that way. God's vision for the future. God's plan for the world. It's the plan that God has hatched to bless Jacob. Uh, Jacob, through his offspring, will bless the world. And this chapter that we've got in front of us, it's like the moment when a, a father's secretly been planning a family holiday and the family are unaware of it. They're unsuspecting. He's been typing on the internet. He's been checking what the weather forecast is. And finally, at a family dinner, he says, we're going on holiday. We're going on holiday. And everyone's thrilled. They weren't expecting it at all. But he's been planning, hatching it, and then he blesses them. And here is Jacob, a man who's unsuspecting. Unsuspecting, doesn't even know God has no personal relationship with him. And God has hatched a plan to bless Jacob and through him to bless the world. God announces his dream, his promise of grace to the wandering and unsuspecting Jacob. And let's see three things together and then think on this Mission Sunday about it for ourselves. There's grace to a broken man to start with, verses 10 and 11. It's on page 30 if you've lost your place. First of all, grace to a broken man. It is easy, isn't it, to sanitize these Old Testament believers. But let me just remind you, if you've not been with us as well, let me tell you a bit about Jacob. The last time that the camera was on Jacob in chapter 27, he cheated his brother Esau out of his inheritance. Just tricked him. Just deceit. It was horrible, horrible moment. And if you'd been there, you'd have agreed with Esau, chapter 27, verse 40. Is he, isn't he rightly called Jacob, sorry, verse 36. Isn't he rightly named Jacob? Isn't he rightly named, I don't know, conniving little toe rag? I imagine he turned the, I imagine he turned the air blue. That's probably the polite version we've got down there of what he said. Isn't he rightly called Jacob, that conniving little toe rag? And now the scoundrel has left home. He's headed off. He's a mummy's boy who's left her protection and he's heading on a 500 mile walk to Haran all alone. He's headed off, he's running away. Behind him is a murderous brother, Esau, planning to kill him. Ahead of him, he doesn't know it yet, is a uncle, Laban, who will rip him off and steal everything that he has and years of his life to boot. And here we meet Jacob in this chapter and we're told, verse 11, he's in a certain place. Read, middle of nowhere. Here is Jacob between a murderous brother and a deceitful uncle in the middle of nowhere. And we know from the last chapter that Esau, his brother, was the skillful hunter. 
Jacob's the cook. He stayed among the tents. He cooks lentil stew. That's all he knows, really. And here he is in the middle of nowhere. So here is a man who has no Duke of Edinburgh award. That's the sort of guy you've got here. He's got no Duke of Edinburgh award, no Cub Scout badges about how to skin a rabbit or how to make a fire. I imagine that as the sun went down that evening, something close to panic maybe started to set in for this mummy's boy. It wouldn't surprise me if he flipped out that evening. What am I doing? Where am I? Where am I going? It's night. It's dark. I imagine every sound he heard that evening was just amplified. Is that Esau? Was that a noise? Was that an animal? Is that Esau? I imagine he flipped out. Perhaps for the first time too, he reflected on his moral failures. He had cheated his brother. He had tricked his dad. Maybe that's why in this passage he's shocked that God meets him. It seems that some of the other guys before Isaac and Abraham seem to have expected it, had a, had a relationship with God, not so with Jacob. Maybe he thought, I'm just too bad for God. God interested in me? Nah. Nah. But he was wrong. God's grace was shown to a broken man. In fact, we're told that God appears to him twice in the next few chapters. Once as he heads off out of the land up north. And he's at the start, he doesn't know it, of a 20-year period of wrestling with God and man. Wrestling with Laban. Wrestling with God, even though he knows him. And then God appears to him, we'll see in a few weeks' time, wrestles with him as he comes back into the land. Calls him Israel. Because he's wrestled in those 20 years in that darkness with God and man and prevailed. And so here is God meeting a broken man. I don't know what dream you would have expected God to give Jacob at this point in his story. Perhaps a review of his past would have been in order. You know, maybe a a highlights package of Jacob's most shameful moments from the last few months and years. You know, in high definition, just to really rub it in. Maybe that's the dream that you would have given Jacob at this this point. Maybe that's the dream you'd expect to give uh, God to give you if he was to give you a dream. But God gives him a view of an alternative future. A future of blessing and hope that he'd be the father of many nations. Do you see, God hasn't cancelled the family holiday because Jacob's stuffed up, had a bad week, his life so far. God announces the plan that he's hatched to bless him. Verse 13, he says, I'm the Lord of your father Abraham and the God of Jacob, uh, God of Isaac, and I will give to you, I will give to you, not through Jacob's manipulation, but through God's sheer gift and kindness to him. It's grace. It's grace to a broken man. Now, pause. You see, it is easy, isn't it, to think of the God of the Bible as only interested in the moral successes, you know, the clean people, the people who are together, the church goers. God interested in me? <laughs> nah. Nah. But here we see God's grace to a scoundrel on the rung, chasing him down. In other words, if, if we can see ourselves in any way as being like Jacob, then we can be sure that God has a unique interest in us. If we can see ourselves as any way 
being like Jacob, then we can be sure that God has a unique interest in us. It's grace, first of all, then, to a broken man. Secondly, it's grace to a broken world. Grace to a broken world. Let's pick it up from verse 12. He had a dream in which he saw a stairway resting on the earth with its top reaching to heaven and the angels of God ascending and descending on it. There above it stood the Lord and he said, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham and the God of Isaac. I will give you and your descendants the land on which you are lying. Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth and you will spread out to the west and to the east, to the north and to the south. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. I'm with you and will watch over you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I've done what I promised you. So the dream that Jacob is given is not just a dream about him. It's about God's plan for the world. This is God's plan for all people, his project to bless the world through a small family. That's what God's been doing since it all went wrong. God's been promising, planning to bless the world through a small family that he got together. First Abraham, then Isaac, then Jacob, and then through him to others. And in these verses, we we see just quickly uh, a picture and some words. There's a picture of a ladder, a stairway. But I wonder if you noticed in verse 12 that it's a stairway resting on the earth with its top reaching to heaven. So this, is, this isn't this is a stairway to heaven. So apologies to Jimmy Page and Led Zeppelin. It's not that way around. It doesn't go from earth upwards. Uh, it's not Jacob's Ladder. So um, sorry to Mumford and Sons and Chumbawamba who wrote songs by that name. It's not, it's not that. It's God's staircase. It's God's staircase from heaven resting on earth. The way to heaven is open as Jacob sees this dream, but it's from God down to earth. Now, why is that significant? Well, earlier in Genesis, earlier in Genesis, mankind tried to build a ladder up to heaven or a building up to heaven. It was called the Tower of Babel. But it never works that way. It never works that mankind can build its way up to heaven. It doesn't work. It's the opposite of God's plan. And this is God's plan. It's God's plan from heaven down to earth. It's his staircase. God has come down and opened up the gate to heaven. So that you can see it. Angels going up and down on this ladder. That's the way it works because it's God's way, his gate. That's what uh, Jacob says. This is, verse 17, this is none other than the gate of heaven. There's a picture. There are words as well, verse 14. uh, Your offspring will be like the dust of the earth. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you. That's amazing. Jacob, at this point, he doesn't even have a wife yet. But God's dream, God's plan for the world will continue through Jacob. His vision is big. It's a kingdom. It's a kingdom of many people. Like the dust of the earth, verse 14. So do you see, God's concern is not just for Jacob and his family. God's plan is through Jacob and his family to bless the world. In other words, God's not just hatching a plan for a family holiday for Jacob. He's planning through that to bless anyone who will have him as their God. 
And when you leap forward to the New Testament, you see a similar thing fulfilled in the person of Jesus. Here's Jesus speaking to Nathanael. Nathanael, one of the early disciples, declared, Rabbi, you're the son of God, you're the king of Israel. Jesus said, you believe because I told you I saw you under the fig tree. You shall see greater things than that. He then added, I tell you the truth. You shall see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Son of Man, it's Jesus' title for himself. Notice the change. In the Old Testament, angels ascending and descending on the ladder, on it. New Testament, angels descending and ascending on Jesus. What's the point? Jesus is the ladder to heaven. That's what he's saying. I am the ladder to heaven. I'm the way, he'll say later on in John. I'm the way to heaven. I've come from heaven to earth, resting on earth, so that heaven is now open. He's the true ladder, the true offspring of Jacob, the gate to heaven. So Jesus is not some local ladder. He's not some western way. He's saying he's the way. I don't know how you found the service so far, if you've been here, if you've been new to it. We've been speaking about all of the nations. We've got a World Mission Sunday. There's been lots of stuff about Jesus. I wonder if you're looking in on this and you might be thinking, I mean, who do Christians think they are? There are lots of religions in the world. Why are Christians talking about going to other nations and telling them about Jesus? What's going on there? How on earth can you say that in a city like ours, in a world like ours? How possibly can you get away with saying that Jesus is the way for all people, for Jew, for Gentile, for Buddhist, for Muslim, for Church of England, for Church Goer, for Church Hater, for the person from Mali, from Britain, from Algeria, from China, from New Zealand, from France, from Rwanda. How can you possibly get away with saying something like that in today's world? Well, the reason that Jesus makes that claim is because he says that only his death and only his resurrection have dealt with the problems of this world. The problems that were there in Genesis and still are there today. The problem of sin and guilt. The problem of suffering and death. Jesus says that only he, only he's the ladder from heaven that's come down to deal with those in his death and his resurrection. And that's why Christians believe that he's the good news that everyone that everyone needs to hear. So there's the second thing. It's grace, grace from God to a broken world. Well, thirdly then, how will Jacob, how will this, how will this conniving Torag react to God's grace? Well, let's look. Verse 16 to 22, he bows, he yields, he serves. Verse 17, he bows. It's an appropriate response. He stands in awe of God. It is no small thing when the God of the universe and the cosmos, the billions of galaxies, says, I want you to be part of my family holiday. It's no small thing, particularly if you're Jacob and you know anything about yourself. You have any self-awareness at that moment. God offers that to you and you are Jacob. When you realize that you're, not un, you're unworthy and he puts out his hand and gives that to you, what are you going to do if you're Jacob? You're going to bite his hand off, aren't you? You're going to say, I'm in. I'm in for that. And that's what Jacob does. He yields. Verse 20. Jacob made a vow saying, if God will be with me and will watch over me on this journey that I'm taking, will give me food to eat and clothes to wear, 
then God will be my God. The sense of the if, it's not a bargain here. It's more that he's reasoning with himself. He's just clocking what's going on here. He's saying, wow, if it's really true that God will watch over me, be with me, if it's really true that he'll give me and give to me and help me, well, then it makes perfect sense. The Lord will be my God. It's the first time that he says of God, he's my God. Last chapter we saw he's your God. It's the first time he's my God. I want to follow him. It'd be good for some of us maybe to reason like that if we've never done that before. If it's really true that God will just cover my shame in Jesus, if it's really true that God invites me to be in heaven with him forever, if it's really true that the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, the God who's protected people, has a track record of caring for people, if it's really true that that God is offering to be my God, well, the reasoning goes, he'll be my God. He'll be my God to bless me. And for some of us, maybe... Actually, the thing we need to do this evening is just to yield like Jacob did. Just to yield to him. That God would not just be the God of our parents and our friends, but my God. Will you have him as your God? That's God's invitation to us this evening. So there's Jacob. He bows. He yields. He serves, verse 22. This stone that I've set up as a pillar will be God's house. And all that you give me, I will give a tenth. Jacob doesn't have to do this. He's not under the Old Testament law. He doesn't have to tithe or give a tenth in this way. He just does it. He just responds to God's grace. I mean, wouldn't you if God had said this to you? Well, he said it to us, won't we? This was grace that changed a man who was a grasper. Everything he'd ever done in life was just grasping. And now he starts to give. What's changed? He's been included in God's dream, in God's vision, God's eternal future holiday home. I just want to think for a bit then for, for us as we respond, as we seek to serve on this mission Sunday, what would that look like for us? How can we be involved? If God's vision, it's there in verse 14, is for all of the nations, not just for one nation, but for all of the nations. How can we respond? Well, we're called to, to go in the New Testament. Jesus says, You'll see greater things than these. You'll see the Son of Man with the angels descending on him. Now go. Go. That's the message to all Christians, wherever they are. Go into your offices in London. Go into your families. Go into your communities. Go to other nations as well. And just in the last few minutes, I want to encourage all of us, in the light of God's grace, to take one step, one step towards the wider world And the nations that God mentions here. This has always been God's plan to bless the whole world. So I want to encourage us to be world Christians. To be Christians who get caught up, get excited in God's enormous plans for the people that he's gathering. So here's a picture of the world. Here's a picture of people. (laughs) This is God's plan. God's plan isn't just for the architecture of the, the world. It's for the people. In the world. And people, as they look at the world today, say, look, there are loads of places in the world where it's very easy to hear the good news of Jesus. If you've grown up in this country, for example, there'd be loads of opportunities that others wouldn't have. And so they put up maps like this next one, which just try and work out where are the groups in the world that really haven't heard much about Jesus at all. 
I recommend this website at the top if you scribble it down just to flick up, joshuaproject.net. It's got loads of maps and helpful resources. But there are 6.93 billion people in the world. And people, as they look at this, say that 2.87 billion of those people probably live in areas where actually it's extremely hard to hear about the good news of Jesus' death and resurrection. It would be very hard in those places to do that. They talk about people groups by language and say there are about 16,000 of those and 7,000 of those would be what's called unreached. In other words, there's not a self-propagating indigenous group who can tell them about Jesus from within that people group. And there are thousands, thousands of those. Most of those are in that red area in the middle. The unreached is called the 1040 window, 10 degrees north of the equator to 40 degrees north of the equator. It's just something of what the world looks like at the moment. Now, how can we respond? How can we as a church like this, how can we as individuals respond to what God is doing? Let me suggest four ways that we could all take just one step towards the world out there. First, we can all pray and support. That's what we're called to do. We can all pray and support. So we've mentioned it already. Why not adopt? I've just put some things down there. Maybe one of them will will hit you. You could adopt one of these missionaries in here. Pray for them. Send them an encouraging letter. Each week when you go shopping, put one item in the shopping basket for them. And then collect them together at the end of the month. Collect that with your small group and send them off. Encourage them. Uh, Buy. One step you could take in praying. Buy Operation World. I checked £8.97. Can I mention Amazon? I don't know. Anyway, I have. uh, From a company that sounds like a river in Brazil. Um, £8.95. Use it. It's tremendously encouraging just to open this and just pray for a country. Adopt a people group. Download something from that thing I mentioned. Get it on your phone. Unreach People's app. I've just downloaded it this week. Tells you a bit about how to pray for those nations. We can all pray and support. There's one thing. Uh, secondly, we can all welcome. Uh, so perhaps uh, as we recognize the nations are in this country here, all of the nations, many of the nations are in this capital city, we could welcome, help at International Cafe, invite people. It was mentioned there, Chinese New Year on the 9th of February. Befriend those in our local area. We can all welcome the nations, befriend, take opportunities. Third, we can all send. So we're seeking to commit as a church. It's, uh, it's detailed in here to, to seek to increase. It's costly for us, but to seek to increase our giving overseas year by year. Perhaps personally to think, well, maybe I could just increase by just a bit. Sending people out to these places. But fourthly, I just want to think for a few minutes that some of us could go. Richard mentioned it at the start that some of us could have our mugshots over there on the board in a few years time as mission partners overseas. Some could go. What would it look like to just take a step towards that this evening? Well, it might be going on a short-term mission trip, testing things out as some have done with a church apprenticeship, thinking about where to go. So broadly, many of the unreached groups would be these days in secular mainland Europe. It's where the Nelsons are. We've heard from Determine that much of the need in Africa will be theological educators. Still church planting over in East Asia. You could read through this. It's the insert in here. It has a question. What should I do if I'm considering mission work? Talk to others. Email. Pray about it. Look, there'll be some here. 
some in the room who've maybe just thought about this before. I don't know, you did a mission trip years ago. And at that stage you were thinking about it, but it's just slipped off the radar. It may be that for some of us, actually, this evening, the one step is to just put it back on the radar. To get praying about that country we used to have a heart for. That we thought about going to, but mm, we weren't so sure. Actually, maybe God's call to us is to really start to think about going. Some of us heard this morning of this country, Luxembourg. In the heart of Europe, the heart language is Luxembourgeois or something like that. Like, uh, there is no Bible in that language. It's on our doorstep. Half a million people with no Bible in their language, just on our doorstep. Could some go? Could some go? John uh, Patton, or Payton, was a missionary who went out to the New Hebrides over in the Far East years ago in the 19th century. And here's how he went. The church, uh, the church felt that they needed to send some missionaries to the New Hebrides. They knew that it was an area that was known for cannibals, that many of the people who went never came back. And here's what they did. It interested me. They asked everyone in the church to write down the names of seven people that they thought maybe would be called to that. In my mind, that, that strikes me as a very quick way of getting rid of someone you're not so keen on. <laughs> everyone wrote down seven names. They came up before the church council. They decided on none of them. And John Patton eventually said, send me. He was so distressed that they couldn't find a missionary to go out to these people. He put his hands up and said, I'll go. And he went and he died 82 uh, out in that direction. Look, I'm not suggesting that we're going to do a sort of a lot here this evening and write the names down. But I wonder, what would it look like if some of us are thinking, maybe I should go? How would you, how would you know? How would you decide? I emailed three friends who are out on the mission field at the moment. Very quickly, this is what they said. How did they decide? One said, we had a growing interest in, in Japan. We talked to church leaders. We had no good reason not to go. We asked who would go if we, with our advantages, didn't. They're in Japan now. Another said, I realized I'd been prepared to go, but planning to stay. I tried thinking the other way around. I planned to go, but was prepared to stay. Another said this, we saw a need, an interest in sub-Saharan Africa developed through short-term mission trips. We've seen God guide us in all sorts of ways. But the overarching question has always been related to Mark 1.17. How and where can we best serve with the gifts that God has given us to be fishers of men? I guess for us it starts in the heart, which is why praying is good. And there is Jacob in chapter 28, reasoning with himself. Perhaps some of us would just need to hear Jacob's reasoning again as we think that through. That he says, wow, if God will be with me and watch over me as I go, watch over me on this journey so that I get to this house safely, then God will be my God and I will serve him. Life wasn't easy for Jacob, 20 years of wrestling. Life's not easy for these friends in Malawi and Japan. But Jacob was never really alone. From this point onwards, I'm sure he felt alone that evening, but he was never really alone because his God was with him. I'm going to leave you with some questions on the screen. You might want to talk about them with each other. What one step could each one of us take in this area? Praying. Is it just to get praying again for a missionary, just to adopt one? And then another question. Have you ever thought about going? You can maybe ask that question to each other and see where you get to. I have a dream, says the Lord God. I have a dream. 
that people on earth will be blessed through the offspring of Jacob, through my son, Jesus Christ. That they'll be blessed in my eternal family holiday. That's my plan, says God. Well, how will we respond? If he's not our God, will we have him as our God? And if he is our God, will we serve him? Will we live for his dream? It's much bigger and much more certain than ours. Let's pray. Our Father, thank you that you're a good God who longs to bless this world, that at the cost of your son, his death and resurrection, you've put on an eternal family holiday for those who will have you as their God. And we long to be people who have you as our God and who serve you. Help us to stir one another up individually and as a church to be a church who see your plan for the nations and play our part. Amen.